I'm Amelia Hamilton, and this is the Growing Patriot Podcast. Welcome back. We left off last week at the end of 1770. The Boston Massacre had just happened, and things were not going well between the American colonies and Great Britain. And, well, things aren't really getting any better. This week, we're going to talk about a major act of rebellion that I bet you've heard about, the Boston Tea Party. Let's meet our first guest. My name's Charlotte and I'm seven and I'm from Long Island. This week we're going to talk about the Boston Tea Party. Was it a fun party? Why were the people angry? Who were the, the sons of liberty? How much tea was thrown in the harbor? Was the tea party important? How many people were at the tea party? Is taxation theft? Those are some really good questions. I can't wait to hear the answer. But first, we're going to take just a minute to talk about how we got from the Boston Massacre to the Boston Tea Party. What happened in those three years? Well, the first thing you need to understand is how important tea was. I bet a lot of your parents drink coffee, right? They wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is grab a cup of coffee, or maybe they get together with their friends and have coffee. Well, in the 18th century, which is the 1700s, it was all about tea. So the American colonies drank more than a million pounds of tea every single year. That is a lot of tea. So Britain thought, that they would just tax the tea and make a whole lot of money. But I bet you know what the colonists said to that. No taxation without representation. So when the taxes got really high, colonists just started smuggling in the tea. That means sneaking it in. And they started getting it from Europe, even though that was actually illegal. So in 1767, the tax on tea was actually removed, making it cheaper but then they put a new tax on tea, so it was expensive again. And with that new tax on tea, they also added a tax on glass, lead, oil, paint, and anything that was printed on paper. So the taxes were even worse. The colonists obviously weren't happy about that. So in 1770, which is the same year as the Boston Massacre, Great Britain took away the tax on everything but tea. So they still had those high prices for tea, and the colonists were upset. So that brings us to 1773, and things got even worse. Something called the Tea Act was passed, and that said that only one company, a British company, was allowed to sell tea in the American colonies. So guess what? People started smuggling tea again, and I bet you've heard some of their names. Have you ever heard of John Hancock or Sam Adams? Well, they were a couple of the people smuggling tea. The funny thing is, getting the tea smuggled in and selling it secretly made the tea actually more expensive than the tea that came from Britain, with, even with the high taxes. But a lot of people thought it was better just to pay that than accept the taxation without representation. 
So that brings us to the night of December 16th, 1773, when a big shipment of tea was coming into the Boston Harbor. Let's see what happens. Hello there. My name is Stephen Chuka. I am a creative department supervisor at the Boston Tea Party Ships Museum. And uh, throughout the day and throughout the year, we tell the story of the Boston Tea Party, December 16, 1773, the lead up to it and how it led to the American Revolution. That sounds like fun. No, I have a little bit of laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay, so so what can people people do if they come to come to the museum? All right, so uh, the main part of our museum is that we uh, focus on the experience of putting people in the position of those men who destroyed the tea on December 16th. So it starts as a one hour and 15 minute in summertime for one hour off season guys experience. We enter into a meeting hall that uh, replicates a little bit of Old South Meeting House, the same place where the Sons of Liberty met to have their final meeting prior to the Boston Tea Party. Uh, we give our, all of our guests character cards, identities of men who are linked to the Boston Tea Party one way or another, and uh, they get to be a part of town meeting with Adam, who sort of uh, recaps the past issues between the colonists and Parliament uh, that led up to the destruction of the tea. Then they, they head down to ships. We have two historically accurate replicas of uh, historic vessels, those ships they would have dumped the tea off of. Uh, one is the Beaver, one is the Eleanor. Uh, and then after they destroyed the tea, they head inside the museum proper where they learn about the consequences of their actions, what followed the Boston Tea Party and how that led to the American Revolution. Uh, during which we use modern media to try to tell the story as they get to see one of the, well, the only surviving tea trade from the Boston Tea Party, oh, as wow. well as some other relics from the Boston Tea Party. And then it finishes with a, a small film called Let It Begin Here, which we filmed for our site, which uh, sort of goes over the battles of Lexington and Concord. Wow, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute blast. Uh, so we have a busy summer season because of that, but uh, we, we try to make it so that museums experiences and people walk away not just thinking about all of the, the history and the facts, but also the emotional connection they can have to history. Because yeah. we believe that once people are connected to the stories, they will have a better memory of those stories and uh, be able to uh, either be more inspired to learn more about history or be more inspired to to dive deeper into the facts of the, the story. And uh, by doing it in a first-person perspective, we can do honor to those people who destroy the tea, as well as the connecting threads from those people. Of course. Well, thank you for taking the time to answer Charlotte's questions today. Yeah, no worries. I'm really excited to answer questions. All right. Ready to jump in? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. Well, her first question is, was this a fun kind of party? What was this? Well, it definitely could be a fun kind of party. It really depends on what you thought of the Boston Tea Party. Um, if you were someone who did not agree with the beliefs of the Sons of Liberty, of the patriots throughout the colonies, then this was certainly not a fun Boston Tea Party, not a fun event. Uh, this is probably another example to you of violence, of a riot, of the destruction of private property, of the lawlessness of Boston. So mm -hmm. uh, this was not something you looked at positively. Uh, if you were a son of liberty or a patriot, there's still uh, an air of uh, difference of what you thought the night would have been. 
Um, if you were one of the more radical patriots or those involved, perhaps this was the most glorious movement. I mean, John Adams would write about this, saying it was the most magnificent movement of all, and he thought that the destruction of the tea was the start of a next, like, epic in history. However, there are some amongst even the Sons of Liberty, like Benjamin Franklin, who cautioned uh, the Sons of Liberty in Boston uh, about the consequences coming from Parliament. And he, he wondered if it was really necessary to destroy a private company's property when they're protesting against parliamentary taxation. So uh, he was worried about such a violent act leaning in towards sort of the stereotype that Parliament viewed the Boston uh, Sons of Liberty as, which was a violent, rowdy mob, chaotic, a chaotic mob. Mm -hmm. um, so it really depends on where you stood on the political spectrum. This was either one of the most fun events of your life or perhaps one of the most terrifying. Okay. Um, and this might be a good time to talk about, it wasn't really called a party at the time either. <laughs> That's very true, yeah. So uh, in 1773, no one called it the Boston Tea Party. In fact, in 1773, they referred to it as generally the destruction of the tea. Uh, pretty simple there. Yeah. Uh, the name Boston Tea Party didn't come until well after the American Revolutionary War, well after even a later war, the War of 1812. It wasn't until a uh, Tea Party participant, Joshua Wyatt, he was well in the advanced stage of life. It was 1826 when he decided to tell someone of his involvement this night, what he remembered from centuries or decades ago. And uh, he coined the phrase Boston Tea Party. So to our record, he is the first participant of the Boston Tea Party to use the phrase Boston Tea Party, which uh, has since become sort of a household moment of American history. Wow. Okay. Um, Charlotte's next question is, why were the people so angry that they threw the tea into the harbor? So people were very angry uh, about taxation without representation within the British Empire. And uh, I got a chance to listen to some of the other podcasts, actually, the episodes leading up to this. And it's uh, sort of described out of the French Indian War. You know, mm -hmm. we have this great war. We have this developed war debt. So... Everyone needs to find a way to recoup the costs, and Parliament focused a lot of their pressure on the American colonies, on passing these laws of direct taxation like the Stamp Act, uh, like the Revenue Act, the Townsend Act, and uh, the colonists, or some of the colonists, were quite against this because they felt like their interest, their representation, was not heard in the passing of these laws, specifically passing of these taxes. Uh, so in the past, those laws have been repealed due to a collection of actions done by the Sons of Liberty and support from their friends over in England, uh, whether that's writing petitions, holding protests, even biting uh, at that point in time. Uh, but one tax remained, and it was the tax on tea. And it was a huge symbolic tax, even though it was actually a tax cut. It made the price of tea cheaper than ever before. It was a, a tax that was placed as a part of the Townsend Act. And uh, it actually, the Tea Act just helped regulate how to bring tea from warehouses in London or China where all the tea was grown and bring it over to the huge market of North America. So this was actually going to be a benefit. It was going to help, uh, supposedly help American merchants, American consumers. It was going to bring revenue into the failing East India Company, which had just almost declared bankruptcy, and was going to bring money back into the empire, a tax, but 
people in Parliament, uh, Lord North, he was the Prime Minister, he stated that the reason why it stuck around was it was going to be a mark of Parliament's supremacy. And oh, that gosh. stuck with the Sons of Liberty. Uh, yeah. Because the big protestation has been it's not value representation, it's about our interests, our voices being heard, about us having a check, an influence, and knowing what we're paying for. And this tax on tea is yet another example of you not listening to why we've been protesting for, at this point in time, almost a decade. Yeah. So when the Tea Act comes along, the best act of all, potentially, it comes with all that baggage. So when we face this crisis in Boston with the tea, Boston knows it's the beginning of what could be more acts of taxation of representation if they give in now. We know tea ships are also heading to New York, to Philadelphia, to Charleston, South Carolina, and we know they've arrived in Boston first. So if we make a great show here, perhaps the king can see that the people in America are so against this law, he'll actually encourage Parliament to change the laws. Maybe those ministers in Parliament, they'll see the American people are so against this, and people as British citizens, that perhaps they'll change their view of how they should uh, be going about passing laws of taxation in the colonies and uh, respect the legislatures, the local uh, representation that's already happening. Uh, as we know in the future, that's not quite the case. But those frustrations, that need to create a, a big show that you see why men would go about uh, marching down to a wharf in the middle of December on a rainy night, tossing tea into the harbor uh, for three hours of time breaking the law and then trying to secretly go about their way home. You know, there's a lot of uh, danger associated with the night, but these men really believed that what they were doing was absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. So that kind of touches on another one of Charlotte's questions, which is, is taxation theft? Did they feel like they were being stolen from? So that's a very interesting question. And I think when looking at these men back in 1773, the answer is no, as long as they're being represented. You know, uh, Samuel Adams writes a lot about what it means to enter society, what it means to be a part of society, and he acknowledges that to enter society, one must pay for these judges, these arbiters, and that doesn't necessarily mean a judge. He uses the phrase referee a lot, but we know that's not like a sports referee. Sure. Someone who can represent you. But their job is to represent you, your interests. The American colonists really felt like their interests could not be represented in Parliament because it's 3,000 miles away. There's no means, no technology for a person in Parliament to represent someone living in South Carolina or Boston. Mm -hmm. uh, and even if there was, say, a way for them to trust what's happening over here, the distance just creates a disconnect. So they wanted to go back to an old era called salutary neglect, this age where the Parliament really let the colonies thrive and flourish and pass laws of taxation on their own and do so with the interest of improving the overall wealth of the entire British Empire. So as long as there's that essence representation, it's not that. But with these new laws, the Stamp Act being passed, uh, taxed, there's this belief that it's being done so against our natural light, rights. I don't know if these men would have used the phrase theft back then, but they would have definitely said this is infringing upon my natural rights as a member of the British Empire. And it's our job to do anything to defend those rights. And that would lead men to destroy the mansion of our, at that point in time, Lieutenant Governor Thomas Hutchinson during the Stand Back Riot, um, which is a funny thing to look at because 
10 years before the Stamp Act was passed by Parliament, one was passed in Massachusetts, one that did not result in rioting throughout the countryside, that did not result in the shutting down of business in town because it was passed by a colonial legislature. So right. you see that difference of opinion of where does one's voice actually matter? Um, and when the voice is heard, they believe it's a good law, it's a just law, because it's looking at our interests. Okay, perfect. Um, so Charlotte also asked who the Sons of Liberty are, and it sounds like I think you've named several of the of the prominent ones already so far. Yeah, you know, uh, you've probably heard some of the Sons of Liberty before, some of their names. You've probably heard of men like Samuel Adams or Benjamin Franklin, uh, John Hancock, big up here in Boston too, mm -hmm. Dr. Warren. Uh, Sons of Liberty is sort of an informal group. It's, it's a group of like-minded men, uh, even women, who call themselves Daughters of Liberty. People who believed that they were truly standing up for their rights as Englishmen, as British citizens, and those rights to life, to liberty, to property, and that is the right about you know, happiness, you'd say later on in our American uh, history. But these individuals were the people who were the patriots. They, they fought for what they believed were their rights uh, to uh, representation, the right to uh, have a say in payments for judges and appointing certain things in the British colonies. Um, so if you were uh, a member of that political idea, you would call yourself a true-born son or daughter of liberty. And they would also use this to sort of push against their enemies. If you were an importer at a time where they were not importing or boycotting some goods like tea, uh, they would say all true-born sons and daughters of liberty will not go to this person's shop or they will bring disgrace upon their name forever and ever. So, you know, you as the citizen reading this goes, well, I'm a true son of liberty. I'm a true daughter of liberty. I'm not going to buy tea anymore. You know, they, they use it as a way to make ordinary people feel involved. Um, and it's that sons of liberty sort of phrase and that term that sort of also puts a sort of dampening down on their movement too because it allows members of parliament to easily dismiss them. They're, the sons of liberty, they're just a gang. They're just a riotous gang that mm -hmm. wants to create anarchy in Boston town. Uh, so it inspired many while also sort of pushed down, allowed others to push down upon them too. Okay. So when they got together and decided to throw tea into the harbor, um, how much tea was there? Well, it was a lot of tea. Uh, <laughs> they actually, it was a loose leaf tea, and it all originally came from China. And in about three to three and a half hours of time, uh, the Sons of Liberty destroyed 92,616 pounds of tea. Wait, wow. Tea. That's huge. It's 340 chests of tea, um, which, interestingly enough, uh, was destroyed at the lowest tide Boston had seen. In fact, it was a, a king's tide. It was a record low uh, oh by their standards, and even by today's standards, which meant as they're destroying the tea, as they're dumping over crate after crate of loose leaf tea, and in some cases even hacking the crate apart and tossing it over the side, well, there's not a lot of water to actually wash the tea away. Oh, right. So many of the thinking show these ships trapped in the water, waves crashing against them, but that could not be farther from the truth. It was actually mostly mud. These ships sort of sunk into the mud. So since there were a lot of apprentices, a lot of younger patriots involved in the destruction of the tea, most of which were under the age of 30, actually, who destroyed the tea, um, a bunch were sent over the side into the muddy water in the middle of December in Boston to 
either stomp down the tea into the mud, take these huge poles to submerge crates, and to sweep uh, piles of tea farther away from the ships themselves out to the bit of water that was still floating out to the harbor. Oh, uh, the tide was so low and they destroyed the tea. It was said the next morning when you woke up and looked at the harbor, you would still see tea close enough, sort of trapped in these long currents heading out to the ocean. Uh, so some of those same boys would end up jumping into canoes and longboats and heading out there to the tea to make sure it's thoroughly steeped in the water too, so that none of it could survive. Wow. So were there some kids at the tea party then? Yes, absolutely. The youngest, youngest uh, patriot who destroyed tea that I could find in age of was a 13-year-old boy. Um, but there were quite a few younger patriots. In fact, Boston is a town that's mostly children under the age of uh, 21 at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, Boston, following the century more, had a population that was mostly women and children. Uh, which might actually play into why Boston felt the, the pains of these new laws worst of all, uh, especially considering a lot of the working age men were gone from Boston at this time. Uh, so you do have a lot of kids growing up in this turmoil and actually getting involved with the Sons of Liberty uh, because it created stability. It made them excited. Uh, some of those men who destroyed tea, some of those kids, uh, might have been involved. They might have been, say, at a tavern, or maybe with some friends, maybe with their masters if they were apprentices, mm-hmm. learning a trade when they were informed. But some had no prior planning. They just heard the promotion starting and charged down there and joined on in. Um, so of, of the numbers we know, we know that it's uh, quite a few, a few dozen, if I remember correctly, uh, kids under the age of 25 destroying tea, but most were under the age of 30. Wow. And how many people were there in total? So it's a really hard number to track. Uh, they took an oath of secrecy. They basically promised never to talk about it, sure. mostly knowing it was technically illegal to destroy someone else's property, and they didn't want to face any of the punishment that might be associated with it. Uh, a trial years ago, they tried to uh, convict John Hancock of treason for smuggling against hmm. the Crown. Um, so they, they knew destroying this tea in a grand political show would certainly be associated with similar acts or similar punishments, should I say. Yeah. Um, so many kept it a secret. So it really wasn't until the 19th century when those young uh, Tea Party participants that I mentioned, mm-hmm. when they're now in their 70s, their 80s, or even their 90s, they start to, to the best of their memory, recall names, recall who was there, which leads to a lot of false threads or misremembering names. Um, but to our best recollection, and after tracking as many of those uh, lists as possible, we assume it's about 90 to about 150 men who would have destroyed the tea, actively destroying the tea. Uh, there would have been possibly hundreds, if not well over a thousand more watching from the shoreline, and they could be as involved as cheering on to silently watching. Okay. Wow. Um, okay, so her last question is... A pretty big one. And why was okay. this so important that we are still talking about it and it's still, you know, so, so big a part of the story of the revolution now? Yeah, uh, it's funny. And the reason why I think we still talk about it is because there's something interesting about the Boston Tea Party. The fact that these men were able to go down there, destroy the tea. Uh, some of them would start calling it a peaceful protest, which is sort of a, an interesting question to ask. If you're destroying someone else's property, is that really a peaceful protest? And they would say, well, no one was harmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would say that 
nothing but tea was destroyed this night, and they took careful care to make sure that everything else was kept perfectly orderly, uh, to make sure that they were not seen like another riot, that they were truly an organized protest. I think that really resonates with people and sort of becomes a model of the, the best possible protest one can do. Uh, but really, I think why it sort of survives is it becomes a flashpoint moving forward with the American Revolution. Uh, it's been sort of turning, tension has been building between the American colonies and, and Parliament for some time. And it's really at this moment that we are, we are going down the hill fast. It is, it is snowballing out of control. Um, because of the Boston Tea Party, Parliament unanimously decides to shut down Boston's port and soon follows a series of acts that punish Boston and uh, history best remembers them as the Intolerable Acts. Mm -hmm. And because of these Intolerable Acts, the colonies unite together more than ever before. They were already communicating with these committees of correspondence while these committees now start supplying food for Boston now that its port is shut down. And they all agree, let's gather for a Continental Congress. Uh, in Philadelphia, let's have a conversation of how we can resist and how we can change these intolerable acts. Maybe we can create another boycott, maybe we can make more acts that can repeal these laws like we've done in the past. So 12 uh, British North American colonies gather up for the first ever Continental Congress, you know, to them just yeah. another Congress. And within 16 months after the Boston Tea Party, we already see tensions flaring up in the countryside of places like Massachusetts. Um, they decided to start storing guns and ammunition to form committees of safety because, well, if Parliament's not going to look out for our interests, we should look out for our own. Uh, so the country, so these towns and cities, they're forming these committees, and it's these committees, these militias, these Minutemen that are formed, uh, that end clashing with uh, British soldiers in April of 1775, which becomes uh, the Battle of Lexington and Concord, which truly marks the start of the American Revolution. So you yeah. sort of see it fast, uh, quickly just uh, grow this movement from 1716-1773 all the way until April 1775. It's less than two years, less than a year and a half really after the tea is destroyed, we're at war. Uh, so I think that's why people remember the Boston Tea Party. It is sort of that last big moment that sort of sparked that big yeah. the American Revolution. Yeah, I think you might be right. <laughs> Yeah, so, it, it's a big moment, and it, it's cool, because a lot of the men that participated in the Boston Tea Party, many of them actually end up enlisting anymore. Uh, most in Boston and stuff will stay sort of in a New England theater or in a Boston theater, but there are quite a few who make successful careers out of the, uh, out of the military. Uh, men like John Crane, men like uh, Ebenezer Stevens, uh, they do quite well for themselves. Hmm. Um, and so one final question, this one's from me, not from Charlotte, <laughs> but are there any um, fun stories from the from the Boston Tea Party that, that maybe we haven't heard? Yes, you know, uh, I do think the tie, as I mentioned before, is one of the, the most fun stories. I think it does play yeah. against all those romantic portraits we have of men destroying tea. Uh, but I think in the essence of trying to make it the most organized or the most peaceful night, there were a lot of things that didn't go according to plan. Uh, including central TV. Now, it was very important for the Sons of Liberty uh, to make sure that nothing uh, survived, none of the tea survived, and that none of it was stolen, because uh, it would make a very bad show of political protest if people were taking a little bit off the top of themselves. Yeah. It's easy to write that off. Uh, and there was one man who actually was, uh, he was the governor of Massachusetts, Thomas Hutchinson. Uh -oh. uh, he would write in his letter back to Parliament, sort of recalling the event and what he heard, would make mention of this potential thief. 
Uh, his name was Captain Charles O'Connor. And uh, the story goes that he had cut out the lining of his coat. And as he's destroying tea, he's stuffing his coat with more and more tea, handful after handful. And who knows what he was going to do with it. Was he going to drink it? Was he going to possibly sell it? Maybe even try to keep it around as a, you know, an heirloom thing, mm-hmm. blast the remaining tea from the Boston Tea Party. But we'll never know what he was intending to do with it because he got caught. Uh, this man by the name of George Hughes, who was named one of the bosons or lookouts that night, happened to see the man, and he was chosen because he was a very good whistler. So he, he let loose a whistle, oh. alerted the crowd around that there's a would-be thief, and this poor Charles O'Connor, he's now surrounded by, you know, a few dozen Sons of Liberty who are all told to make sure no one's stealing tea. So they quickly grab the man. They, they strip his coat off of him, so he's left in the cold night air, just in his undershirt, his, his vest. Mm-hmm. They uh, they shake out all the dust and they make him run the gauntlet, which is a uh, unfun way of saying he got sort of kicked and punched as he ran his way home, threatening mm-hmm. him and his life should he ever try to uh, steal or get in the way of this sudden liberty again. And then they took that coat and they brought it north of the city to a town called Charlestown. They nailed it in the middle of the town on the whipping post and they had it stand there as a reminder to any would-be thieves or tea thieves or tea merchants of the days to come what future lies for them if they are to try to sell or deal in this tea. Uh, so this is a fun moment in the Boston Tea Party mm-hmm. where you see on one of their attempted most organized nights of all, uh, a little bit of a, a diversion that happens on board one of the vessels as uh, the tea is uh, being destroyed. Gosh, no, I've never heard that story before. <laughs> yeah, this is a fun one. Yeah, my goodness. Okay. Well, gosh, this was great. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. I learned, I learned a lot today, and I bet the kids will, too. Was I right? Did you learn a lot? Let's talk a little bit about it. The Boston Tea Party may or may not have been a fun kind of party, depending on who you were. Some people probably had fun throwing tea into the harbor. Some people probably threw tea into the harbor because they were a little bit angry. And some people just thought it was a horrible, horrible thing that they shouldn't have been doing at all. After all, they were destroying tea that belonged to somebody else. So why did they do it? Because of taxation without representation, voices weren't being heard, there were these huge taxes that they were being required to pay, and Britain just wasn't listening. So, is that taxation theft? Well, that is a big question that a lot of people don't really agree on. But taxation without representation, that is never a good thing. These Sons of Liberty definitely thought their rights were being infringed upon, and nobody was listening. So who were the Sons of Liberty? Well, it wasn't an official kind of group. There weren't actual members, but anybody who felt like a patriot to America rather than a British colonist could call themselves a son or a daughter of liberty. They were patriots fighting for their right to representation. And if you felt like that was you, you could call yourself a son or daughter of liberty. But you probably know some of their names, people like John Hancock, Ben Franklin, Sam Adams, John Adams. I bet you've heard of some of them. So, on the night of the Boston Tea Party, which at the time they just called the destruction of the tea, it took them three or three and a half hours to throw all of the tea over because there was so much. There were 92,000 pounds of tea. 
And because the tide was so low, which means there weren't a lot of waves or anything, there wasn't really water to wash it away. They had to push the tea out to sea or stomp it into the mud, anything to make it so it wasn't drinkable. And remember, Boston was a pretty young city, so people as young as teenagers were on the boats. Because they all agreed to keep it a secret, we don't really know how many people were there for the Boston Tea Party. But when some of the boys, the younger people that were on the boats, grew old, they figured it had been a long enough time that they could maybe tell stories. So we have some idea of who was there that night, but all of the stories don't match up exactly, so we're not completely sure, but we think somewhere between 90 to 150 people were on the boat. So why is it so important? Why is it still such a big deal today? Well, a big reason is because nobody got hurt. All they were trying to do was destroy the tea. They didn't destroy the boats, they didn't hurt anybody, they just destroyed the tea and left. This was a huge turning point in the relationship between the American colonies and Parliament. Now things were totally out of control between the two of them. And for something that big to happen and nobody to get hurt is pretty cool. And from here, things really take off. Britain tries to get back at the American colonies, and the American colonies decide to unite to fight back. And that changes everything. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you had fun. Remember, you can visit growingpatriots.com, where you'll find every episode and resources to go along with them, as well as the Growing Patriots books. You can find us on social media. We're at Growing Patriots on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And wherever you're listening, remember to rate us and leave a review. That really helps other people find us. And speaking of that, share the podcast with a couple of other patriotic friends. That's it for this week, but we'll see you back here real soon, and you can find out what Britain does to try to get back at the American colonies for the Boston Tea Party. They freed us all from tyranny, we stand the thing for liberty, and they thought so we would be America. America.